One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chad. How do you use your difference to make a difference? I mean, I think that's a, you know, uh, uh, ever changing question. I think right now what I'm doing is, you know, I've always wanted to help people any way I can. You know, I wanted to write a book before I wrote this book and I used to be like, well, what am I going to write about? How can I, how can I, what knowledge do I have to give someone? So, you know, this, the selling of the company, kind of the culmination of that 10 year journey, um, kind of really, you know, no pun intended, closed a chapter in my life and started a new one. So I try to give back to, you know, small business owners, people who are starting their own business and, and really trying to overcome those initial initial obstacles that, that can be a lot difficult, you know, transitioning from especially a W-2 to an employee or just from college to, you know, trying to uh, start your own company. So that's the difference that I'm that I try to make right now is giving back as much knowledge and experience as I can to young amb- ambitious people or even you know people our age or older that are ambitious yeah. and trying to make that make that journey how you day how you day that was the voice of Chad Price I hope you're ready for a lot of analogies today because Chad is a former athlete and some of you might know this I I'm also a former athlete and we talk about different metaphors and analogies that the business world shares with the sports world all in service of really helping you update your business vernacular how can you translate success in business and in life using sports analogies um there are a lot of resources that you can always see in the show notes so please make sure to head over there i also encourage you to think about moments in your life that you consider pivotal and think about how you can extract lessons from there. If some of you are struggling to tell your stories, those pivotal moments in your life usually have the genesis of what becomes your story, right? So use this as a way to see yourself, but also I think you should also ensure that you're learning as much from all the listeners. That's what the podcast is for, to connect you to the world through the guests and to be able to expand your mind and your world. I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you share with your loved ones, and I hope you tune in next week when we have another episode, all right? Thank you so much, and enjoy! Welcome, everyone, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Chad Price. Now, Chad is a seasoned, seasoned serial entrepreneur with a very, very impressive track record. Yeah, his career spans well over a decade, and if you're very visual like I am, I want you to picture this. Building Kettlebell Kings from scratch, which is his company, and orchestrating that into a three-year multi-million dollar acquisition. This happened back in November 2021, and today it stands tall as a thriving international company 
making waves in the esteemed Fortune Inc. 5000 list. He's also an author. We're going to be talking about his book today. And in his book, we're going to be talking about how you can use things like sports concepts and translating that into the business landscape. His book is called Preparing for Battle. As always, we have every resource that the guests loves and uses in the show notes. But without further ado, I want to welcome Chad Price onto the show. Welcome, Chad. Thank you for having me. It was nice to meet you. Pleasure is mine. The pleasure is mine. So you were an athlete. I was an athlete. You know, I, I grew I grew up playing sports and I I, I like you like uh using sports in my everyday vernacular, but I'm very curious about your background. What what was your sport of choice? So, I mean, I grew up playing literally every single sport. Like, mm -hmm. I'm talking about baseball, soccer, track, you name it. I, I played it growing up. Um, in high school, uh, you know, I focused more on basketball and football, and I ended up getting a scholarship to play football at Rice in Houston. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I use a lot of kind of those lessons from a lot of different sports, but especially, you know, football is probably kind of the sport of, of choice uh, just because that's what I played the most of. Yeah. And so when you were, you know, you got the scholarship at Rice and then you had a business degree at Rice University and you then were in corporate America for a little bit and then you founded your kettlebell company. What was that journey like? How did you decide that you weren't going to go pro and then you were going to go in corporate America? Well, I did play a little bit after college and I, you know, I actually, I don't know if you guys remember, it's probably it's, it's telling people how old I am and making me look bad, but um, there was a, a league called the All-American Football League that I was a part of. And it was kind of like a, it was a, a development league for the NFL, if you will. Yeah. And you had to have a college degree. It was a new concept on a professional league. And I was part of the team in Houston. And then that league folded after the league was supposed to have already started. So, you know, I was doing promotional videos and, and kind of touring the city, getting everybody pumped up about this league. And then it was like, hey, no check. So um, <laughs> that pretty much hung my cleats up for me at that point. And, uh, and I, I already kind of knew that football was always just kind of a, it was a, a, a way that I could take my, you know, the natural skills, develop home, my athletic abilities, but give myself a better opportunity to have a bigger kind of impact or a bigger business in the future. So I always looked at football, you know, even if I would have made it to, you know, let's say the, the hall, NFL Hall of Fame, it was just going to be so I could launch a, you know, some type of big entity and, and really start my, my business or professional career. Yeah. And, and so, Go ahead. Oh, no, so Greg, the, the reason I wanted to, to pause there a little bit is you know, a lot of times the listeners are from different parts of the world, but NFL, the National Football League has various iterations of developmental leagues. The Rock has its, uh, the XFL now, Thanks. I believe. Yeah. And so I just wanted to explain that to, to the people who might not understand that. But sorry, carry on. Yeah. So after I, after I stopped doing that, and even while I was doing that, I was already still, I was already working. So I had an outdoor sales job at the time. Uh, I was selling T1 internet, which another thing people probably don't even know what it is anymore. Um, and then I was also selling um, just different types of softwares and, and different types of outdoor sales jobs in Houston. Um, that led also to me starting into construction. I liked that a lot more. And I was, you know, one of the things that I had a background in uh, growing up, I did a lot of working outside, I'm, you know, from a small town where there was no like kind of staying indoors all day when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. um, so construction was kind of came naturally to me. It was team based and, you know, it was get out there, get the job done and go home type of deal. And I, I really liked doing that. And I was project manager there for a while. And then I tried to get into oil and gas project management 
didn't necessarily get into the project management side of it, but I did get into the operational side. And so I was working in operations uh, in oil and gas. Basically, you're monitoring a, a control room of gas pressures and pipelines across the country. Uh, and I was doing that for a few years before I kind of understood, okay, this is what a corporate America job is like. And this is the schedule. This is kind of the careers and opportunities even above where I currently was that are available to me. And I knew if I wanted to start my own company that I, I was going to have to do it now. I knew I could always kind of come back and invest the time and effort needed to climb the corporate ladder, but I wasn't going to always have the opportunity to kind of start something and watch it grow for the next 20 years. And that's really what, you know, my, my ultimate passion was behind was really trying to see something, you know, blossom into a global brand or take a team from, you know, something small to, you know, world champions. That's, that's always kind of the, the sports analogy I like to use. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's stay with the sports analogy here. You talk often about how their strengths an athlete can bring to entrepreneurship and startup culture. So what strengths, particularly in your life, did you translate to the startup world? I mean, so many. Uh, I, I think when, you know, when you play, come from playing sports, you're used to being, I think, on both sides of uh, wins and losses. So for me, it, it's not about the today's wins or losses. I expect to have to lose. Like if we've never lost anything, then we haven't been trying that hard or we haven't been playing the, uh, the toughest competition. And so I think having that kind of mindset that I'm going to go out and compete every single day and get better every single day or whatever I'm choosing to do is, is something that comes more natural to an athlete. Um, you know, when I was, I, when I work out, to go get to play football, you know, I'm working out thinking about how I'm going to utilize this in my football skills. And when I'm doing the same thing for business, it's just a matter of kind of determining what working out is and, and what is practice and getting better. What does that look like? And once you develop that, it's just a habit, you know, it becomes a, just a behavioral pattern that you're trying to continue to develop better and better decision-making and better and better habits. And I was able to translate that to my partners and to, you know, employees and vendors and things like that, just because that concept comes a lot easier from sports. Now, obviously the, the, the company you first started was, I mean, you got it to, to a multi-million dollar acquisition part, but it was, yeah, it was with kettlebells. It was, I think if, it was like a natural, almost, you know, transformation. Sure. Yeah. Because so it was yeah. working out. Did you just stumble across some kettlebells one day and you're like, huh? Well, I mean, I think it, I think you, and even for me, it was a, it was a learning curve involved there. And, you know, I, I did start another company at the same time. And for me, that was a, it was a good thing. I started a nail salon at the exact same time I started the kettlebell company. And so I ran them both simultaneously for eight years. Um, and I was building online communities. That's really kind of how I look at it. And the online communities, one community was around nail art and creative and luxury nails and right. you know uh, uh, a service-based kind of industry and the other one was around you know fitness and health and staying in shape and trying to give a, a kind of an urban lifestyle feel to a, a fitness brand and, and to a kettlebell enthusiast community so it was differences and likenesses that I was able to kind of bounce off one another and, and really kind of just learn what it is to build that kind of stuff so for me I the, the kettlebell was just another tool that was used as a centerpiece for that community. And I think I like to look at it like that. And I've been able to help other brands and things like that now, especially um, by kind of taking that same concept is what is it, you know, what is the centerpiece that this community is here for? And then what types of content and what types of 
value can you bring to the people that really kind of evolve around this one centerpiece or idea? I love the fact that you described it as a tool. I, you know, I said earlier, I grew up as an athlete. Basketball is the sport I play the most. Uh, and I play football, but it was a different football from what you call it. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. I'm from I'm from Nigeria. So we, yeah. we but uh, but yes, it eventually became basketball. And interestingly, in the tool enough, my father, my pops was a diplomat. So I grew up in five countries, four continents. And it was a way for me to fit you know, not, I guess fit in and, you know, when you're a kid, you're trying to figure out your identity, especially when you have different accents or you're like, everybody's, you're figuring out, you know, yourself. And I, I remember approaching basketball from the lens of making friends and understanding what, you know, what this defender needed, what that person, what the ball needed. And there was a point as all college and high school athletes come to the realization of where ah, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it tile. and so i was thinking of the translatable skill and a tool and it, it really went back to understanding the needs of the people around me right now you know i have a a company that is focusing on helping people connect effectively across cultures and fighting against systemic oppression and different things and it wasn't until i sat down and did what you just said and picked up on other passions that i've always had simultaneously and i realized yeah, you've always been doing this for a while. It's just a matter of now translating those tools yeah. you learned in playing basketball and figuring out what makes that person tick, what is considered offense, defense here, what's a block, what's all those things. And I think if a lot of people did what you just said, they'll be surprised about the evolution and the passions that they'll find. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Especially if you come from an athletic background, you you've You've already gone to so many practices. You practice when you didn't want to. You 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 know what practice is though, and that makes it easier. So when you're when you're trying to start a new brand or a company, or you know you're trying to do something that you haven't done before, or not, or even worse, no one's ever done before, um, it's going to be difficult, and you don't you don't know what that practice necessarily looks like. So I try to look at it like, hey, let's just let's get out there and do, and then revisit that, and so. In football, you watch a lot of film. That's yeah. that's one thing you do. You watch every single practice. There's no such thing as not watching the practice from the day before. So that type of mindset to me is just natural. And I think for business, it's it's the same thing. I'm never not checking out what we did last week. And I'm never not measuring that against the week before. Like that's not even a concept that I would even go into business with. And some people do just because they don't have that background or that that level of detailed discipline to analyze your actions and behaviors so that you can actually make measurable improvements on you know on a some type of scale whatever that scale is facts well what did it feel like when you were able to scale the company enough to grow and then sell i mean obviously it feels great it's you know it's it's one of those things where it's a it, it, I guess it feels like, you know, sending your, sending your kid off to college, I guess, or, you know, watching, watching your kids slam dunk for the first time, maybe, or something like that. It, you, you know, you feel proud that someone else sees value in what you've built. You know, you kind of already know it when you have a, a large community like we've built. So, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten those um, milestones of, of, of pride and, and of people showing us the appreciation they have for, you know, what we've built as a brand. But, you know, when you make it to kind of an acquisition point, it really is kind of closing the book or, um, you know, signing your name on the line and you and the people that started it actually, you know, you get to benefit from all your hard work. So yeah. it's, a, you know, it, it's a great thing. I think um, 
it's not necessarily what everyone has to do. Like, you know, some people want to own the company and, you know, have it be a, a legacy brand that they keep in, the, in their family or in their portfolio of businesses forever. And I think that's the, the beauty of entrepreneurship and businesses. We all get to kind of make that journey for ourselves, make, that, make those decisions for ourselves. When we started the company, we had no idea we, we wanted to be acquired or would be acquired. And um, just going through that process kind of taught us so many things that at this point, you know, I, I don't think me or my partners that started this, you know, I don't think we're limited to anything. Yeah, I love that. Um, okay. And then obviously you got to the point where you felt like it was time to write a book and your book is called preparing for battle. And, you know, if, when you're doing a deep dive of it, you know, the, the summary says inside one of the things you will learn is how to use your personal story as your foundation for success, which you just discussed. But there's a particular thing that stood up to, stood out to me. You, you talk about how to transform yourself into a true leader who fights with vigor. Why did you word it that way? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when I use the term prepare for battle, I, I don't use that lightly, especially yeah. when it comes to entrepreneurship. I, you know, I think it is a battle. I think if you're not trying to fight on behalf of your company, then you don't really deserve it. So, you know, I, I, it's like a it's like a fumble, right? If, if you're not fighting for the ball, you're definitely not going to get it. So I, I don't even know why you're here. Like, you might as well just stand back and watch watch what's going on. And that's kind of how I look at businesses. When you're ready to dive in, it is like that. You're going to have to fight for customers. You're going to have to fight for market space. Um, you know, you're going to have to fight even more when you start than, you know, once you become a, a recognized brand, because why, why should someone give you a chance? You, you're mm -hmm. going to have to kind of fight for the, the reputation and the credibility of, of who you are in that space. Um, so I look at that as everyone knows when they're going to do something hard, they need to prepare for it. Uh, you know, if you were going to actually have to go to war, you would be at home practicing, you would, you would be at home doing push-ups and shooting your gun, whatever you would think, you know, getting prepared is, and it's the same thing for business. So I think you need to kind of prepare yourself for a higher level of intensity of, of engagement, decision-making, um, obstacles that you're going to have to overcome. All, you know, all of the above is going to kind of intensify once you take on that journey. So how can an aspiring change maker leader come up with the things they need to pull in their arsenal, the tools for their arsenal to fight for this? I, I mean, I think it's a lot of different ways, um, especially nowadays when you have, you know, access to information is no longer the problem with starting a business. You know, everyone has access to the Internet. There's more information available to you, you know, on your cell phone than humans had in the history of humanity, you know, for the for the, the, the majority of, of the history. So when you're talking about trying to prepare for whatever it is you wanna do, I think that's where your personal experiences and trying to fill in the gaps of who you are kind of overlaps is, I don't know what you need to improve on for you to be a good leader. What you need to improve on might not be the same thing that I need to improve yeah. on to be a good leader. And having the, the self-awareness and having the vulnerability to go out and assess that and have other people assess that and then work on those things that you can improve is, you know, that to me, that's going to be the way you're going to have to live life moving forward. Anyway, you're, you're not going to be the same person you were when you started this, you are becoming something bigger than what you, what you were. And that's what the business is. That's what you're wanting the business to do as well. So I think as a leader, you have to grow kind of with that if, if you want to sustain it. Yeah. Self-awareness, it sounds like you're saying will be very key. I mean, it's why you started off with the personal story. You need to, 
I understand your strengths and I'm not even trying to say weaknesses, but areas of opportunities, areas for improvement. And then, you know, I, I'm sure maybe build a team around that, what information that you're, you're filtering as you're assessing yourself. Do you find that it's beneficial to have mentors or external people that know you and are able to find those hidden spots you might not notice yourself? I mean, absolutely. You know, I think, and when I say mentor, I think some people, I'm not really big on like idolization, right? Like, I don't think, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't a perfect person, right. but I think he could be a great mentor to, to someone who wants to be a public speaker. Um, you know, I think there's, there's ways to look at people and ways to gain knowledge and value from people mm. other than trying to, you know, personalize it and make it about uh, who they are as a person. And, and that's kind of how I look at mentorship. So my, my mentors have come in all different, you know, types and ways from my coaches to vendors. I've had people who've been at different kind of levels of a company. So, you know, one, one company, my mentor might be the person that's actually working on my account because he knows so much more about this topic than I do. So if I have a question about this topic, he is my mentor when it comes mm -hmm. to this because he's been doing it for 20 years. I haven't. I've, I, I'm smart enough to recognize he knows more than most people that I know. So I'm going to use that resource. But then other times, you know, your mentor might be your father, your mentor might be, you know, someone that's a lot closer to you that you just trust that they have your best interest at, in, in mind. But there's no kind of right or wrong way to do it. I think you take those assessments and you use that to, to build a, a, a regimen of things that you're going to do to improve on yourself. And when you have the goal of improving yourself, can you ever really go wrong? You know, like if, if you, if you're a kinder person, you're not going to be, you know, mad at yourself for being kinder. If you, if, if you're trying to achieve something that's, that's, that, that's better than what you currently are. So I just look at it as people that help me identify the things that I need to communicate more efficiently or to present myself in a way that gets me to my goals faster. Cause ultimately as a, as a business leader, I, like, I just, I want to get to my goal. Like if I have to yell at you to get to my goal, I'll yell. If I have to pat you on the back, I'll pat you on the back, whatever it is to get to my goal. Like it's all positive, but you know, I'm trying to communicate whatever's needed to, to ultimately achieve success. Yeah. And then, okay. So with success comes challenges, right? And you got to push through these trenches and, in, you know, in warfare, it's, this concept of, you know, <laughs> defense and, and understanding how to, to be resilient and deal with the opposing forces. When that inevitable opposing force comes, yeah, you revenue is down or you get you lose a big client or there's a loss in your family. How do you navigate that as an entrepreneur or a team of entrepreneurs? Well, I mean, I, because I played sports, I look at every single one of those as, as an opportunity. You know, it, it, it's it's almost like if you didn't have those chances, you wouldn't have an opportunity to kind of galvanize your team. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example from Kettlebell Kings. We started the company, you know, we're building the company out. We had been operating out of a public storage for the first year, year and a half of the company. So, you know, go over to a public storage, lift up the public storage and go in there, try to find the kettlebell because there's no room to sort things. It's just a huge, you know, mess of kettlebells. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In there, to be honest, but you find the kettlebell, you, you take that to UPS or whatever store in your car and you ship that out. We graduated to a warehouse year, year and a half after having a warehouse, we finally got our first employee. So we set everything up for the biggest Black Friday that we could possibly have. We'd order more inventory. We, we ordered uh, swag for the first time. We had, you know, this huge operation. This is good. This is going to be it. Uh, we trained two different people to, to show up. A couple different uh, things happened. One of the people that we wanted to, to work with no longer work with us. We had another guy who was supposed to supposed to work the entire Black Friday weekend, which is you know a holiday weekend, and uh, this particular guy, day of Black Friday, decides he just is not going to call, not going to show up, just no call, no show, doesn't exist anymore. So we're you know we're calling to check in, like, hey, is everything okay at the warehouse? Thinking, okay, we you know we get to spend time with our families, and you know it's Thanksgiving, we get to you know hang out and 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 spend time. And ultimately he never, he never called or never answered anything. So, you know, I called my partner and only two of my partners are actually here in town or one of my partners, I should say, is only here in town. One of them is not. And so he and I were literally up there sending out kettlebells for 12 hours a day for the next four (laughs) or five days. And it it was exhausting. It was terrible. It was exhausting. Um, But after that time period, having gone through that, we were never the same again. Like he never questioned my loyalty to the company. He never questioned my decision-making process, whether I had the the best interests of the company at heart. And I never questioned his, even when we butted heads. And it's because we went through that together. And if that guy would have showed up and done his job, like he was supposed to, we may have never had that chance to galvanize and become together as kind of a one single force against the world. And I think that's a lot of times the hardest part about creating that culture is having those opportunities where people feel like, man, we overcome, we overcame something that was difficult and you, you never know when that opportunity is going to present itself. And to me, that's when a leader steps in and says like, yeah, I know this sucks. It sucks bad, but we're the team to do it. We're, we're the people, you know, we're the chosen ones that we can overcheat. We can overcome this. You know, we can, uh, we can overcome any obstacle that's put in front of us. And this is just one of the, one of the, the many obstacles we'll have to overcome on this journey. But, but that is a skill set, though, right? I mean, because in my consultant experience, sometimes you'll, I'll work with leaders who don't like delivering bad news, right? Yeah. They're, they're really just anything conflict related, whether it's because they don't want to seem incompetent or whether it's because it's just they haven't, you know, they've just been experiencing so much success and they don't want to say that, or they don't even want to have to let go of someone, either of these difficult things. That leader needs to be able to understand how to manage that type of conflict, but how can that leader get better at that scenario? Because you you have the mindset of an athlete to, oh, 
opportunity. Come on, let's go, let's go. But yeah, there are people yeah. who don't have those lived experiences. They're thinking, yeah. oh, now they're going to think I hate them. Oh, they're going to worry about my salary. How are they going to, you know, it's like it's, so many people are not there yet. So what would you tell those people? I, I mean, I try to tell people you have to try to get those experiences and those little kind of, uh, you know, I call them micro battles. You have to have those in some type of way, shape or form. To me, sales is a good way to do it because sales, sales hardens you. I mean, you, you're going to get told. It no. humbles you. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Humbles, humbles, that was my first job out of college. <laughs> it, it humbles you big time. I mean, yeah. to where you, it's, not, it's not personal. It's not yeah. personal. You don't personalize it. And you have to get to a point to where you can deliver the information that you have to give someone and be totally fine with them saying, you know, F off. I, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You suck. And go yeah. on about your day, not drained and demoralized and things mm -hmm. like that. And that's what you'll need as a leader. So at some point, you're going to have to put yourself through this type of crucible, whether it's you understanding that at the beginning and you just accepting that from, from you know, as a leader. Or you go work for someone and, you know, you put yourself in a difficult role that requires you to overcome a lot of difficult challenges. And that will, you know, that'll set you up to lead the team because once you've done it, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, if you've got a hundred no's or a thousand no's and 10 yeses or a uh, hundred yeses, it doesn't really matter. You're, you're used to both. It's a, it's just a matter of how do I get better at getting more yeses and I'm trying to get more yeses every single day. And that's what I'm trying to do as a leader. I'm trying to get my agendas and initiatives successfully achieved and at the lowest and efficient way I can every single day. And uh, it's just kind of a, a way to practice is doing it for somebody else, I think. So you advocate for leaders to to willingly get in the trenches of their their business. They need to understand as many levels as they can. It not only gives you a lived experience, but it actually you know, trains you for any type of adversity that may come about. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you should want to also, you know, I, I think want you, to is different. That's a, that's yeah. a, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you should want, even if you're less saying you, you're, you want to have a company that has a large sales team. If you don't know sales, how are you going to lead that team? Like if you've never had a sales job or you've never been the, the lead salesperson on a, on a team, like, you're not the leader for the team. Someone else is going to be the leader for a team. And even that is you, you know, having the self-awareness to know that, that maybe that's not your role then. And so I think if you're putting yourself in the position where you have to be a leader of a particular space or a particular um, part of your company, you should base that off of your previous experiences and the success you've had in those previous experiences. Right. And if you haven't had success there, then don't put your whole company at jeopardy because you're a terrible sales guy and you want to be the lead salesperson. Like, no, like you should have to prove it just like an employee would prove it that your methods are good. And this is why you're leading the team to, to try to, to reach a, a higher level for themselves as well. Okay. Let's take, let's bring this focus on the ego here and talk. We're going to keep using sports metaphor here. So there's a recruiting element, right? You play college football, right? There are recruiters that will come around and, Hey, we need your son. He's got this. He's going to make my team better. And then you're a CEO you might have done the self-awareness and you realize ah, I'm more of a creative. I don't do numbers, right? <laughs> you know, maybe I need a technical founder for this. What is that process like? You, you've done that self-personal thing. You've put yourself through certain battles. Maybe you've managed to convince someone to invest or someone else to buy in into you to come on as a partner. What's the recruiting process? Like how can you get a team of people to play their positions the right way? 
Well, I mean, I like to use the, you know, the, the analogy of, you know, being a recruiter because you, you are, and I don't think that it ever really stops. So if you think about a football team, it, it, you never stop recruiting. Recruiting right. is happening every single year. You know, it's a cycle that, that continues. And so I think you have to kind of look at yourself like that, like the team that you need to become this, you know, multi-million dollar billionaire, whatever your goals are. That's a that's a large team that's going to take a lot of you know cycles of people turnover is going to be uh, you're not going to start with the same people that you finish with and so for me it's just a trial and error process mm -hmm. I'm always interviewing um, one of the things I like to do is I, I demo software I demo vendors uh, all the time like I don't think you lose anything by taking a 30 minute an hour call if you're trying to look for new information or look to make sure you're doing something in the most effective way. So, you know, I, uh, I literally would always, especially uh, when I have partners, I would always be scheduling something to try to make sure that we're doing things the, the most effective way. And I think once you start that as just part of how you live, the, mm -hmm. team, the team shows up. So you, you start finding people who really, um, who really shine in your system, who really yeah. like, you know, Everyone else, like we had a social media manager for five years and then this person came and now they're a team member because you saw the numbers jump when they got there. And to me, that's more of how I've built a team. It's just been trying and trying and trying and the people that do well in the system, you know, they, they want to stay because they see success there. Right. Now, I'm loving this trend we're going because we've talked about from the individual, we've talked about the team now. So you've gone on and recruited, right? You found the right people to play the positions. This is where I see a lot of, uh, companies fail. You know, the, the the recruiters might bring on someone based on the idealized version of what the company is. Yeah. <laughs> but when they when you're in the company, you're like, wait, what? What you sell me on? Like this ain't. You told me I was gonna. <laughs> so, and this is where some CEOs and leaders struggle with like that roadmap, that strategy, that compelling vision. How can you keep that alive? Because the, the excuse, I don't want to say excuse, but the reason. People would give would be, well, I, you know, I got to make money. I got to raise money. I'm doing this and doing that. Yeah. I trusted you. I, what, what do you mean? Like, that's not my thing. How do you make sure that doesn't falter? Well, I mean, I, I, that's where I go back to watching film. So I, yeah. I, unfortunately for me, and it's just like, you know, on, on sports teams, if you are messing up in practice and we're watching film and you're just screwing up over and over and over, you're, you're not going to start anymore. And it's not, it's not personal to you. It's like, you're not getting the job done. And, I need the job to be done. So having that kind of openness and just, mm. you know, culture where that's what we talk about. Like the, you're here to make sure we reach these numbers. These are the numbers we agreed on. These are, these are the KPIs we agreed on, whatever that is. But it's hard when you don't have the experience to quantify what success is on all of these different levels for all these different perspectives. You know, um, every single software that you use will try to attribute the success to that software. So you kind of have to internally have your own logic or your own uh, assessment of where the actual dollars you're spending or the resources that you're uh, allocating, where they're showing up for your, your actual goals. And to yeah. me, that's where that kind of watching film on a day-to-day -day basis, having a, a clear vision of what success looks like and measuring that. It, it makes it pretty simple when you don't see yourself making that changes have to be made. There's no real, 
option in that situation is like, okay, well, we don't have a quarterback because we, you know, we need this guy threw too many picks last year. So, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we're like, are know, you gonna? Uh, yeah, we we have to have someone else play this role. And I just, sometimes uh, you have, sometimes you do have to take a shot. You know, sometimes you're rolling the dice. You're taking, you know, you're making an educated guess. There's not, you know, I, I don't think anyone goes out and recruits the dream team for their company the first uh, in the first attempt. I think that's a naive way to look at it. So. Um, I, I look at it as everyone is here to try to do the best job they can. And like I say, the people that the people that want to stay are the people that want they actually achieve success for your goals as well. You yeah. know, I, I don't think any company wants to, you know, in the long term, just keep taking your money and screwing you over. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's your job as, a, as the CEO or as the leader to identify, are they doing that? And if they're not, you know, what do you need to do to change that? And if they can't change it in and, and make it what you want it to be, then you have to just go somewhere else. And I think that's what it boils down to. You talk about creating a culture of accountability and having metrics for things that need to be taken accountable for. And even to your point, the, the one of the points you made, even if you're just starting and you realize you're not going to be the big, big company, first of all, you still have to be able to communicate a vision that says, hey, look, we're here now. This is where we want to go. This is what we'll need. Or if you're guessing, this is what I believe we will need to get there. Now it may change, but I, you know, your job as a leader, if, if we keep doing this, I think we can get there. Like, you know, like you know, we can use Deion Sanders for people that don't know American football here, but you know, he just moved from HBCU to Colorado right now. And you, they won more than people thought initially, but when they asked him, he says he's about five to six or seven players away because I'm assuming he's already done the assessment and the, ah, we needed O-line, we need more players there. We're too small here, but he still needed to be able to com- convince people to come for that first year, so that maybe the second and third year could be better. That's also another art where you have to like help help people understand that there's going to be some warfare here, and we won't get there the first year. But I need you to believe me long enough to see and be patient enough for the you know the fruits to be born. I mean, absolutely. Like the first pay-per-click company that we hired, we knew that they were going to be temporary. We knew that, you know, this is not the company that's going to take us global. Like this is, they're yeah. not it. we can't afford the company that we, exactly. we interview. And that's, to me, that's where the interviews come in as well as because I've interviewed so many companies that are in this space. I know what's out there. I know how much the costs are. I know what types of packages I'm, you know, uh, I think another thing is people struggle with is trying to compare companies apples to apples and it's not always apples to apples because they have some overlapping services some that don't have overlap different strategies in which they try to to do things so for me it's always about trying to learn as much as I can about what I actually need from someone like this and then what the offering is what the market value of that offering is and then who can do that the best and that to me that's just like a math problem once you solve it it's like okay well this is this is about how much it should cost for me to get a lead. This is about how much it should cost for me to get a sale, blah, blah, blah. And I then measure every single other person off of those metrics. So it's like, if you can't run faster than the guy from last year, I'm not even recruiting you. Uh, and, and, and that's really kind of where you get to when you just continuously yeah. go through that process. Uh, this is so fascinating to me. I, I could do this all day, but uh, like Captain America, I guess. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's 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 pivot here a little bit, right? So, I want to use the pandemic as a framing for pivot. I looked at the year that your company sold. It was the right in the smack dab of the pandemic. It was maybe like a year in there. Um, 
what <laughs> at what point did you realize that if you didn't pivot that you were going to sink and then how did you make the decision to pivot because you still were able to be successful during a moment where people weren't sure about the viability of their companies well i mean luckily for us we always saw ourselves as you know the, i think the terms exist now that we create we were doing before they even existed so mm-hmm. like uh, you know, we had fitness influencers before that was a term. We had, you know, social influencers and we're doing social social media um, kind of influencer marketing a long time before that became like a, a generic way to, to, to build a following. So, I mean, when we are trying to think about any of the overall, like, let's say, community size of, of, of the brand, all we all we ever wanted to be was a, a location that could generate content for that large community mm-hmm. and uh, in achieving that goal to meet everything else would kind of follow that so we wouldn't have to know all of the specifics if we could achieve that kind of initial goal because it, it's not an ego-based decision-making process it's a, a fact-finding mission from that community itself and ultimately that's what we were able to set up yeah, it actually, in retrospect, it probably even set you all up because people were, you know, indoors and needing to do something to the, to get outside of their heads, and you were right there. On yeah, exactly. Screen. So yeah, so, yeah, so when <laughs> so when COVID came, it was like, oh, you want more of us? You want more yeah. of this? You know, it right. was, we we were already there, and not to mention the fact that we never really wanted to be a retail space or an, a physical right. brand. So like, because we saw and we grew up, you know. Fortunately for us, we were, uh, you know, I remember when first when Facebook first came out, uh, you know, I got a Facebook page and I remember thinking like, man, I'm about to use this to make some money, you know, like, I was like, <laughs> I was like this, this is crazy. It's like the community I can build on here and everyone's going to have a profile. Like, I mean, just uh, my mind was just racing right, with ideas. And I think it was the same for my business partners. And that's where our concept overlapped, where we knew the potential of an online community was bigger than any retail store that we could ever build yeah. and we knew it could be a global representation of something that was bigger than ourselves and something that we never have a chance to grow something as large in austin for example there's just yeah. not enough people here yeah so because the entire operation and infrastructure of the company was set up that way COVID was just a bonus it was a uh, you know, more people wanted to do home fitness than ever. More people contacted us when they announced quarantine. Within 20 minutes, we sold out of every single product. So, you know, for us, it was like, man, we, you know, we used to joke like the, you know, the best thing to happen to us would be another COVID. So, unfortunately for us, is you know, it it was a good time because we sold, um, we sold product, and the hard part was just getting things through through the port so that we can yeah, fulfillment and all that yeah. The, yeah, yeah. fulfill the demand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you like in the book, you also talk about creating a business that values, you know, that creates a true value for its customers. So it sounds like you understood that from the beginning. And so yeah. um, when you have that relationship with your customers, you can't, you can't build a team and forget about the end users at the end, at the yeah. end of the day, you have to simultaneously be understanding that as well. Um, as well as I imagine your competition, right? Where yeah. has the competition gotten better at? Are they faster, quicker? Yeah. How can we? How can we up there? Where can people get your book? Because I feel like they'll probably want to connect with you on different fronts. So I, please plug away, like your book, your sure. communities, your companies. Sure. Um, you can you can find me on chatprice.com. That's my website. So you can find kind of everything from there. It'll lead you to my book to 
my different companies, projects I've worked on, and, you know, things you can find on uh, my podcast, things like this that I've been talking and, and doing these types of things. Um, but then I'm also social media channels, Real Chad Price, LinkedIn, Chad Price. Um, the book is on Amazon, Preparing for Battle. So if you're you know looking to purchase that, you can download it. I think it's three bucks right now for the e-download. So not, not a heavy investment for you. Um, but you know the, the main goal of the book, I think, is to really get you in the mental uh, space required to kind of tackle a, a difficult journey. So, you know, entrepreneurship, and I put the basics of kind of building a, a business and the building blocks of, of basic business. But, you know, I think more importantly, the lessons that you have in your life and tying those lessons to what makes you a strong leader or what brings your um, kind of unique, not only say uniqueness, what brings the, the attributes that you can most effectively help people with and effectively lead people. I think that that'll make your journey a lot easier. So I try to map that out for you in the book and even give you a workbook at the end so you can write your ideas down and try to build that kind of vision and, and uh, help you communicate that to your team. Uh, we, we love a workbook here. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'll make sure I put all that in the show notes. But my last question for you, Chad, is the question I ask all my guests. My personal mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So, Chad, how do you use your difference to make a difference? I mean, I think that's a, you know, uh, uh, ever changing question. I think right now what I'm doing is, you know, I've always wanted to help people any way I can, you know, I, I wanted to write a book before I wrote this book, and I used to be like, "Well, what am I going to write about? How can I? How can I? What knowledge do I have to give someone?" So, you know, this the selling of the company, kind of the culmination of that ten-year journey, um, kind of really, you know, no pun intended, closed a chapter in my life and started a new one. So, I try to give back to you know small business owners, people who are starting their own business and, and really trying to overcome those initial initial obstacles that, that can be a lot difficult, you know, transitioning from especially a W-2 to an employee or just from college to, you know, trying to uh, start your own company. So that's the difference that, I'm, that I try to make right now is giving back as much knowledge and experience as I can to young, amb ambitious people or even, you know, people our age or older that are ambitious yeah. and trying to make that make that journey. Chad Price, constantly preparing people for battle in an ever-evolving business world. <laughs> Thank you so much, though. This has been fun. I, I really, really enjoyed uh, going back and forth between the, the sports world and the business world. But, the, you know, to your credit, they're very translatable skills. So, um, you know, I really wish you the best of luck with your book. And I can definitely see why people follow you and are influenced by your background. I appreciate it. It was, it was awesome. You were a, a, a great host. I, I loved the, all the sports analogies. So it's perfect. It's perfect for me. <laughs> well, thank you. The pleasure is mine. Uh, Kings, Queens, and royalty. Until next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.